You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Updates on the Kaseya ransomware incident as our evil strikes again. Concerns about other ransomware attacks against industrial targets rise. Google expels credential-stealing apps from the Play Store. Online gamers draw various threat actors. Carol Terrio examines the elements that could put you in the crosshairs for ransomware. Ben Yellen has an update on the Facebook antitrust case. And the Tokyo Olympic Games will be on alert for cyber attacks. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 6, 2021. On Friday, Kaseya sustained a ransomware attack on its widely used VSA product. The attack, as it propagated through the managed service providers who use Kaseya VSA, has affected users worldwide. Huntress Labs warned on Friday that ransomware had been deployed through VSA on-premises servers beginning around 11 a.m. Eastern Time. The attack was not, contrary to earlier speculation, a supply chain attack. Kaseya has ruled out any unauthorized alteration of its code base, which would be a supply chain attack in the narrowest sense of the term. Rather, it was a direct attack in which the attackers exploited a zero-day vulnerability, specifically CVE-2021-30116, that had been responsibly disclosed by the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure and that Kaseya was in the process of fixing. How the attackers learned of the vulnerability is unknown. The effects of the attack have been worldwide, roughly tracking the MSP market penetration of VSA, with the U.S. and Germany showing the highest rates of infestation. Between 40 and 60 Kaseya customers are believed to have been directly affected, but since these tended to be MSPs, the ransomware in turn flowed to those customers' customers, whom it affected indiscriminately. The record this morning put the tally of affected organizations at more than 1,500, Reuters reports that victims include schools, small public sector bodies, travel and leisure organizations, credit unions, and accountants. Another Reuters update speculates that individual organizations' recovery could take weeks. Early indications were that the ransomware was R-Evil, and subsequent ransom demands have seen the R-Evil gang widely regarded as a Russian privateer and the same threat actor responsible for the recent high-profile attack on JBS Foods, claim credit, so we can regard that as a confirmation. 
After victims were initially quoted individual ransoms at varying rates, Bleeping Computer reports that the gang appears to have settled on its final offer, which would be $70 million in Bitcoin, for which it promises to release decryptors to all the victims, which suggests that they're looking for a collective payment. Kaseya's Monday update said that, quote, the attackers were able to exploit zero-day vulnerabilities in the VSA product to bypass authentication and run arbitrary command execution. This allowed the attackers to leverage the standard VSA product functionality to deploy ransomware to endpoints. There is no evidence that Kaseya's VSA codebase has been maliciously modified, end quote. This statement is the basis for not calling the incident a supply chain attack in the strictest sense. But the attack on Kaseya resembles supply chain attacks in certain important respects, particularly the way in which it represents a fourth-party risk. The customers of Kaseya's MSP customers are particularly affected. Kaseya itself has been issuing regular situation updates since it disclosed the incident at 4 p.m. Eastern Time Friday, It learned of the attack when customers began reporting unusual behavior on endpoints managed by VSA and then saw ransomware being executed on those endpoints. The company yesterday posted the following summary advice on mitigation, quote, All on-premises VSA servers should continue to remain offline until further instructions from Kaseya about when it is safe to restore operations. A patch will be required to be installed prior to restarting the VSA and a set of recommendations on how to increase your security posture. We have been advised by our outside experts that customers who experienced ransomware and receive communication from the attackers should not click on any links. They may be weaponized. End quote. Kaseya has brought in Mandiant to help with assistance and remediation. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has urged users of the software to immediately shut down their servers and to follow the mitigation advice Kaseya has issued. The FBI has seconded CISA and solicited information from victims of the attack. R-Evil claimed responsibility for the attack, and there's no reason to doubt them. And the obvious motive is money. The gang is looking for a $70 million payout, But the fluctuating ransom demands, which only settled on the final $70 million demand after a few days, are curious, as is the consolidation of the demands. Whom does our evil expect to pay? Kaseya? A government? That seems unlikely to happen. A consortium of MSPs? Any of these are possible, but the disruption the attack caused seems at least as significant as the financial damage— If our evil is an example of what Cisco's Talos calls privateers, it's reasonable to look for some motive that would serve the sponsoring state's interests. In this case, Axios may be on to something. Quote, Coming just two weeks after President Biden's personal warning to Vladimir Putin during the Geneva summit, the attack looks like the Russians thumbing their nose at the tough talk. End quote. The U.S. has said it's investigating the incident, and there have been rumblings about retaliation if retaliation proves to be in order, but it's still early. While the attack propagated through Kaseya is the highest-profile ransomware incident currently in progress, ransomware gangs are showing a tendency to go after the still relatively soft targets legacy industrial control systems present, ZDNet reports. 
Control Global observes that some such attacks may initially be difficult to recognize as such. Industrial concerns have also recently been the targets of more traditional ransomware, the sort that steals and encrypts sensitive data. Bleeping Computer reports that the chemical distributor Brentag has disclosed that the Darkside gang during an April attack obtained access to personal information that included social security number, date of birth, driver's license number, and select medical information. Ars Technica reports that Google has expelled nine apps from its Play Store. They were all discovered by Dr. Webb to be stealing Facebook credentials. And they were, in descending order of popularity, Pip Photo, Processing Photo, Rubbish Cleaner, Inwell Fitness, Horoscope Daily, App Lock Keep, Locket Master, Horoscope Pie, and App Lock Manager. Google has also banned the app's developers from its ecosystem. Online gamers are providing increasingly attractive to threat actors, Tech Radar reports, as criminals and others follow people's interests online. The more gamers, the more attacks. Sometimes the attacks come from within, for what lack of a better word we must call the gaming community. One such has been defacing Apex Legends to complain about people cheating in Titanfall, the record reports. And finally, as the Tokyo Olympic Games arrive... Concerns about cyber attacks aimed at disrupting them rises, according to The Hill. What would the possible motivations be? Embarrassing Japan's government would be one of them. Tokyo has devoted considerable attention to securing the games since they were scheduled, and reasons of geopolitics or the simple skid lulls would both be sufficient motivation for cyber attack. Nothing so far, but the authorities are on alert. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Ransomware attacks generally fall into two categories, the somewhat random opportunistic variety, where the attackers are scanning and spraying the internet for potential victims, or the more targeted, deliberate kind. Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio ponders what it takes to find yourself in the ransomware crosshairs. 
Ah, ransomware. To pay or not to pay, that is the eternal question that our industry is being plagued with. On one side, it is clear that we should not pay. We should not be indulging malicious actors who elect to steal or lock up our data and refuse to give it back unless we part with money. Some argue, quite rightly, that if we pay, we're actually helping fund this illegal industry. But let's think of the flip side. Say a ransomware attack is successful on a critical infrastructure, and this attack prevents you from providing that service. So, for example, a hospital, a health center, a government service. Suddenly, you are facing this situation of if we pay, we can then provide services again to our residents. If we do not, they have to pay the price of our downtime. Of course, the second issue is will they actually release the data that they've stolen or encrypted in exchange for the money that we pay? These are difficult, difficult issues that impact business continuity, customer service, brand reputation, and one I guarantee you every company would want to avoid. So let's look at that. What are reasons that you might be targeted by ransomware? Maybe your software or devices are outdated and harboring vulnerabilities. Maybe the browsers or operating systems are no longer being patched on all systems. Maybe you don't have a backup plan or it's lapsed and you haven't checked it recently. Or maybe your staff are not properly cyber secure enough to spot scams and phishing attacks and social engineering attacks. We're seeing a ton of ransomware out there. It's no joke. So take the opportunity to make sure that your systems are secure, your people are informed and vigilant so that you don't have to deal with this messy, unpleasant ransomware attack. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, interesting, uh, I don't know, ruling came down, uh, memo, whatever it was. You're, you'll explain it to us <laughs> regarding the <laughs> a uh, thing, a, yeah. a thing uh, about Facebook and uh, the government going after them for antitrust. 
Unpack it for us here, Ben. Sure. So this week, a federal judge in the District of Columbia uh, dismissed two antitrust lawsuits, one brought by the Federal Trade Commission at the federal level, obviously, and another brought by 46 state attorneys general. Hmm. Uh, So the allegations, there were kind of two separate allegations that were part of this case. The first is that uh, Facebook tried to buy out their competitors when they purchased Instagram and WhatsApp uh, in 2012 and 2014, uh, respectively, and that that action violated our antitrust principles. And the other allegation is that Facebook controls more than 60%, uh, and that's sort of the magic threshold, of the social networking market and therefore makes it liable uh, under our antitrust statutes, particularly the Sherman Act, to be broken up uh, hmm. as as a monopoly. What the judge here is saying is that the FTC in particular didn't properly allege with the required specificity that Facebook really does control 60% of that market. And the reason is it doesn't really properly define exactly what that market is. What counts as social networking? Is it um, you know, the peer-to-peer interactions on Facebook? Is mm-hmm. it the news feed? Is it the messaging? Mm-hmm. Because that definition is so nebulous and so hard to define, you know, a judge isn't going to proceed with the case until they're sure that um, the FTC has met that threshold. And the judge here is saying that they haven't met it, that they're frankly not even in really close to having properly defined what that function is. So they the, the judge can't make a determination whether Facebook has a monopoly because they don't have a full understanding of what the market is. Huh. So face uh, the judge has pointed has punted the case. Uh, back to the FTC uh, as it relates to that federal case, telling them that they have 30 days to amend their complaint and include more specificity as to, you know, why they think Facebook has a monopoly, why there is a valid antitrust case here. How can you properly define that social networking market? Um, I think that's going to be very difficult for the FTC to do, not just because it's a short timeline, a 30-day timeline, but in general, it's just really difficult to define what makes up Uh, social networking for the purposes of uh, this antitrust suit. I think this is a big win for Facebook. Uh, They seem very pleased with the decision. They uh, have said that, you know, they are competing with their rivals in the industry, including up-and-coming players like TikTok, to uh, win the support of, of consumers, that there are lots of places on the internet for you to do some of the things that you uh, do on Facebook to try and post a viral video. Hmm. You do have choices. Right. Um, and I think Facebook has has made that argument. They've made it reasonably. And at least for now, um, a federal judge has been convinced that there isn't enough evidence to this point uh, that there's an antitrust violation. Yeah, I wonder if, 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 for example, if you looked at Facebook's own marketing messages, you know, the, the messages that they put out to potential advertisers who want to take advantage of their ad tech, seems to me like that would be the place where Facebook would define it themselves, where they'd say, you know, here at Facebook, we have, you know, 75% of the eyeballs and engagement is 80% of, you know, and people spend two times as much time on Facebook as they do on Twitter. And I'm obviously I'm making all that up, but... Um, does any of that come into play? It, it seems to me like we're, or, or are, are the companies being um, intentionally fuzzy themselves in not wanting to define these things? 
Well, I mean, I think they probably change their messaging depending on who they're talking to. I think in their legal pleadings and filings, you know, they might say that they actually don't have a market corner. Mm. But for the purposes of advertising, and obviously, you know, you have to be careful here because you can't <laughs> you can't commit fraud. But for the right. purposes of advertising, you might make a claim that you know uh, we have eighty percent of the eyeballs on this type of uh, you know video platform, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just because you have a large portion of the audience, just because you have a, a market share, doesn't per se mean that it's a violation of antitrust principles. And that's what the judge is saying here, that yes, Facebook makes a lot of money. They have a lot of customers, billions of them. Um, but what exactly is the monopoly that they have here? What do they have a monopoly on? Uh, and that's something that the FTC was given the opportunity to explain, and they just were not able to properly explain it. Hmm. Um, So you can't just simply say, well, Facebook is big. There's no other entity like Facebook. Therefore, you have an antitrust violation. You have to really define, you know, what it is Facebook, you know, completely cornering the market on X, on video sharing, Mm -hmm. on messaging, Mm -hmm. on, you know, news feeds. And, Separately from the issue of whether they've tried to buy out some of their competitors, which is an issue in this case, it does seem like in each of those areas there is proper competition out there, especially as as we've seen a proliferation of other social networks that serve similar but distinct purposes. Um, So that's why I'm skeptical that even if the FTC is able to come up with a uh, revised complaint, they're going to be able to succeed. And remember, we're not even yet at the merits of uh, the antitrust claim. This is a dismissal of the case in its entirety mm-hmm. because the judge is saying that the FTC didn't come up with a uh, le- legally recognizable claim without properly defining uh, what the market is for the purpose of antitrust here. Wow. All right. Well, we will watch this one as it plays out. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute to a regular segment called Security, Ha. Huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed and check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network. 
and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 